Hello and welcome to Duelist Community Raw, episode 13. I am done giving so many fucks about how what I say is going to be perceived or how it's going to resonate. And the more I recognize that I don't know how it's going to be received and the less I necessarily care how it's going to be received, I find that it's actually being received in a lot more clarity than how it was when I did care a little bit more about how it was being perceived. And as a result of me not judging myself so much in what I say, I can actually hear more of what you're saying. And so it's not just about you not caring so much about my judgment. It's about me not caring so much about my judgment. So now you can speak more clearly and I can hear more clearly and then I can speak more clearly and you can hear more clearly. And before you know it, we're actually in communication simply because we stopped taking each other so seriously. And it's that easy. So that all said, Dualistic Unity Raw, episode 13. I'm excited about this one. I know that we are now in so-called 2023. We're going to have a little bit of a talk about that in this episode, but I'm excited for the new year. We just finished recording an episode with one of our dear friends of the Dualistic Unity community. We're going to release that later on today as well. I'm very excited for you to hear that, but I will stop rambling as of now and pass it to Andrew and we'll get on with the episode. So with all that said, I hope you enjoy the live stream that is Dualist Unity Raw, episode 13. All right. Here we are. Um, So-called 2023. I just wanted to take a moment to say, uh, fuck Pope Gregory. Just because it's important to do so. I think we forget this. You know, we were talking about uh, the retreat that's upcoming in April and the fact that we'll all get to be April Fools together. And of course, that got us talking about where that that whole thing comes from. And it's because originally the pagan new year was spring equinox. And that makes sense because of course it's the beginning of a new year, spring growth, as opposed to our Gregorian calendar, which puts new year right dead in the middle of winter, which is kind of funny. It doesn't make any sense at all. But so anyway, so people would practice the pagan new year. And because now Catholics and Christians ruled the world and everybody was using the Gregorian calendar based on Pope Gregory, those that were still using the pagan new year were called April fools. If they were still saying happy new year, as you were going into April, it's like, ah, you're April fool. And so that's really weird and kind of funny, but we've talked about this before, how so many things in our life are completely arbitrary, but we don't look at them that way. We never take the chance to actually question them. Like for example, Everybody is under the impression that it's Monday. But it's not Monday. That's just a name for the day that we're on. And it's not even the day that we're on. It's just every seventh day in this cycle. Because they're just names based on cycles, but the cycles themselves aren't actually accurate. The, the seven-day cycle is fairly accurate in that it's uh, four seven-day cycles is one lunar month, which is great but there are 13 lunar months in a year, right? But we take all of this for granted, like even the fact that we have a 24 hour day, that's not actually correct. Each and every day is actually a different length of time, slightly. It's a different length of time each and every day based on our speed through the universe and the rotation of the world and all that other stuff. So 
we just kind of count on these numbers that are convenient. We count on these cycles that are habitual and we forget that we made them up. We made them up. It's not actually 2023. That's also a funny number that we just kind of made up based on one dude's death. Yeah, I find it very symbolic, all of it, just how little we question because, you know, you don't want to feel uncomfortable or, or dig into it or see where it goes. But the reality being that as we do question that, we do become more free from the from the shackles that are holding holding us back from recognizing our true potential because we get caught on a in a spot where it's like, oh, I'm comfortable right here. But yeah, all of the uh, the dates and the calendar stuff, it's funny how obvious it is that it isn't what it is and yet we just don't even we we don't even say say it tongue in cheek or anything like oh yeah it's 2023 and it's not like for myself it wasn't even until i don't know i was in my early 20s that i started to be like yeah but is it what's that based on oh it's just based on this this guy who lived at a certain time and we were able to create this entire thing it's like we actually not that we really do think that it's, you know, anything's been 2023 years, but like we kind of do in a way, like we, we discount how like, eternity and all of that. And we just settle on this out of, I guess, convenience, but with, uh, cause I'm not, you know, I'm not as much a history buff with the Gregorian calendar. Like when did that even begin and do you know some of the background on like the thinking behind that was he just desired control and wanted to do it his way and it's just like yeah this makes sense essentially yeah i i mean that that was the whole thing is like they're the church they should know so yeah and and it's not that pope gregory was just you know being willy-nilly about it of course he made a calendar that i don't know i i would guess um made sense to him i try to look at everything that way like even even the people who are the most terrible in our history just like all of us when we're self-destructing like we kind of think we're doing well we kind of think we're doing the right thing right up until the end kind of thing but um yeah the gregorian calendar is just kind of arbitrary you know it's largely based on, on the calendars before it the julian calendar came before the gregorian calendar and then, of course, the church had a hand in wiping out pretty much every other calendar, you know, including the Mayan calendars and whatnot, right? Because the church was just expanding over, all over the world. Because if you control the calendars, you really control a good portion of the narrative, right? Like, that, it's not just that the year 2023 sets an arbitrary date. It kind of implies that everything started there, that all of the knowledge before then didn't exist like that we were in the caveman ages until Jesus came along to set us free. Like there's a lot of implication in the idea of it being 2023. Right. And we tend to forget there's a shit ton of history before that. Lots. It's just that, especially in, in the Christian dominated world, we don't focus on that. I mean, hell in school, we don't even focus on history. Really, we focus on the history of those that would take advantage of us throughout our lifetime. You know, we focus on the history of our country 
and how awesome it is that these people took over this chunk of land from other people, probably violently, right? And we forget there was a lot of other violent people before them that brought them here. And there's a whole history of stuff, not just violence, obviously, but progress, progress, so-called, but invention, enthusiasm, connection, growth, adaptation, that's all in our history. And it goes way, way, way farther back than 2000 years. Yeah, I think that that perspective changes things a lot. Because I mean, it would be more accurate to say like, we're over a billion years old or something like that. Like it would be more accurate to try and guess the age of the planet and just give it an arbitrary number than just started 2000 years ago based on a fictional zombie Jesus. Yeah, and, and thinking about that sort of arbitrary date of 2000 years ago or whatever, when when we, and looking at history of, you know, in, in the US, that's kind of what our history classes circle around. And it's interesting how it goes on both sides, like the people who see that and don't look past it, they either see it in a positive light and they're like, oh yeah, they, they were, did a great job. They created the best country in the world, blah, 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 freedom. Et cetera, et cetera. And then the people on the flip side are also kind of stopping at that point. The people who are like, oh, they're, you know, colonists. It was, it was awful. It was terrible. Our history is objectively terrible, which, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Absolutely. But both sides kind of stop at, at where we're taught, like in the last couple hundred years, and they don't it seems like neither side is willing to look further back and see not like empathy for colonizers by any means, but see where that mentality comes from and look beyond that. Kind of like we've talked about, like colonizers were colonized, were colonized, were colonized, were colonized, and it goes way back. But we have such a limited view of our history that we don't on either side. It's like we're comfortable settling on that and only looking at the things that we want to sort of that fits our, our narrative of the way things are, whether it's objectively awful or objectively awesome because, you know, we have freedom now and whatnot. And so I just find it interesting how oftentimes we're, we're only willing to go back to the point looking back at history that makes us comfortable. And it's like, even if that's a couple thousand years, like going beyond that, even like, you know, 10,000 years of written history, like there's a lot before that. And there are a lot of things that happened before then. And it could even be that right now we're not in, you know, peak humanity. We're not in the most advanced society that's ever been. And a lot of people settle on that, like on either side, that this is, you know, the most advanced and the best type of situation we've ever existed. in. it's like, where is that assumption coming from? I guess it's from comfort and and being able to validate the idea that we're doing everything correctly and the in the best way possible. And yet our peak idea of human potential is having a lot of money, which isn't even a thing that's real. Like that's our that's our barometer. That's our mark is having a bunch of of made up stuff for myself that has a big number in my bank account is kind of the extent. And we think that's like peak human society and we discount like you know thinking about teleportation or telekinesis or any of the the deeper shit that could be possible as we let go of those arbitrary 
levels to which we think are are best for humans, like we almost don't even think that's a possibility. And yet we do see it from time to time. It's like we don't even want to look at it because it makes us uncomfortable, I guess. It's just, yeah, I, I mean, comfort, discomfort, it's fascinating how people just are so unwilling to go beyond what keeps them comfortable. Yeah, and we're very comfortable with the mindset that we have in terms of what our existence is all about. We're very comfortable with it, despite the fact that so many of us believe that life is suffering and so many of us believe that we're disconnected and so many of us are experiencing the perception of a division from the universe. We still think, no, we're doing great. Like we're suffering all the time. We know we are. There is a mental health pandemic that's massive. And still, we continue on. True, true we try to, I guess, introduce more Band-Aid approaches. Let's get you know, more, more um, counselors out there. Let's get more clinics out there. Let's try and you know, offer more short, short-term solutions in the hope that maybe we'll limp on long enough for something to change but the fact is nothing's going to change because the system itself doesn't want to change the system is actually opposed to change right you talk to somebody about letting go of money and they're just like oh communist it's like whoa hold on there's a lot of gray area in between that right or or you talk to people about letting go of this system and the response i always get a kick out of is oh you want to go back to like the caveman days like no, there is a lot of gray area in between that. It's not like we have to discount everything that we've learned just to learn from our mistakes. Like we keep the stuff that's useful. We jettison the shit that's toxic. And we find something new. We've been doing this forever. It's like, like the government that we're all experiencing right now, wherever we might be, came from a lot of other things before it. So we're always going through change. It's just that, we don't know what it means to let this go. And there are some obvious roadblocks in terms of uh, a lot of very powerful people who are benefiting from a lot of us feeling disempowered. And so there's a lot of mechanisms to keep those powerful people feeling powerful and us feeling disempowered, you know, such as the economy and climate change, the war, giant militaries that exist all over this world and a host of other things. Um, but those are other problems. Those are problems that we can't tackle. Those are problems that we can't tear apart because they know how to deal with that. They know how to react to that mentality. That's the mentality they're built on. But again, you know, kind of the, uh, the feet on the coffee table revolution, where it's just like, no, I don't find that important enough of us doing that for long enough changes the priority of the world yeah it'll be uh fun to see how that all shakes out as we're as we're shaking it out so i'm i'm kind of curious when we talk about people and their perspective on things and you know doing the right thing like we all have a different idea of what the right thing is based on i don't know it seems pretty interconnected with how we see ourselves relative to reality so and even you no know, because talking about good or bad people who are 
extremely destructive people. It's like nothing's objectively good or bad, but there is constructive, destructive and whatnot. And so I'm curious if, if people doing, taking their actions, like someone extreme talking about like the Nazis or Hitler or something like that. Like, do you think everyone is always doing what they think is the right thing based on their perception of themselves and reality? Or do you think people know what the right, you know, right thing to do is and do something else or have an idea of what the right thing and, and then do something else? Or are we always doing what almost whether we know it or not, what we think is best, what we think is right for reality slash ourself based on the the level of distortion that we have about ourself and the rest of reality. I think that as always, it's uh, it's variable. Like it, it really does matter on uh, about the person. Just like right now, like there is a global mentality that a lot of people are just a part of without recognizing that they're a part of it or that there are options. And it's because that's the environment that they grew up within. That's the way that they've learned to perceive the world. That's the priorities that they've been taught to look at in terms of what's important about me and the world and how do I fit in and, and, and all of that. And so I think that's always true. I think, remember, it wasn't that long ago we were doing public hangings. Right. And that was a normal thing. You take your kids down to the public square to see a hanging. Like that's that's something that happened. And it was normal. It was normal at that point. Now we look at that. And we're like, oh, my God, what is happening there? And the same will be true in a couple hundred years where people will look back at what we're doing now and they'll go, oh, my God, what's happening there? Right. And, and so, yeah, it, it really does come down to our environment to some degree, but that's why awareness is so important because it's not that there is a right and a wrong. It's that there are levels of, of destructive and constructive and, and that always tends to be dictated by awareness and sensitivity, right? The more aware you become, the more sensitive you are, the more empathetic you tend to become, right? Because you can see everything. Like you see it going back and forth one side or the other. You're not just sitting on one side for your own sake because that's what's cutting off your awareness. So it's, it's always like that. And I think that's the whole point. That's the reason this, this discussion is so important because we're saying that awareness is the fundamental influencer under all of this. That if we as a society or we as an individual are not focused on simply awareness without the confusion of identity, without the confusion of need and lack and fiction that isn't there, then we're doomed to be more destructive simply because we don't see that we're being more destructive, right? Like people look at, at like, well, you mentioned Hitler, Nazi Germany, all of that. There was a long progression that got, that led up to Nazi Germany, like going way back, like way, way, way farther back than Hitler. Like there was a lot that led up to Hitler, including up to World War I, which inevitably was where Hitler went to jail. And a lot of the things that he was going through became solidified. Like there's a lot and it's our environment. And then not just that, but I mean, Hitler himself wouldn't have come to power if it wasn't for one of the leading political parties thinking that they could use him to their advantage. That's the thing. They're, they're like, oh, he's gaining a lot of, of support. Let's, let's ally with him 
so we can benefit our party. And he ended up just taking them by storm. Like they opened the gate and he came through, right? But they did it for their own purposes. They did it according to the system that would benefit them. They did it because they thought it was right according to what, what they per perceived was best for themselves, right? So there's a lot that led up to all of that, right? Where had that system not necessarily been in place, had there been uh, a more aware society, right? Critically thinking, questioning people, perhaps that would have been stopped decades before, right? Through just a change of something else. You know, maybe Hitler had been accepted to, to art school and that had changed his whole path. Who knows? We'd be looking at paintings by uh, Adolf Hitler without thinking about all the horrible shit that went with that story, right? Yeah, and so I almost see it <clears throat> like the constructive, destructive. We never really know how that's going to turn out, but it's almost like the the spectrum I see is is between awareness being broader like a broader point of view which is a, more tied into like open-mindedness and not being so set and settled like it's fluid on one end it's broad fluid open-minded awareness as opposed to narrow specific this is it this is right this is wrong and so it's not even like a right and a wrong spectrum it's your willingness to broaden your perspective and question your idea of what's right and wrong and the shit that gets us into a bunch of shit is not whether something's right or wrong it's the mentality that believes that there is a specific right and wrong and so it's just a it's like a way that you are willing to see things and question things and that willingness to be open and not settle on a right or a wrong allows us to keep in mind all of the different potential outcomes to something as opposed to just being so focused on one specific thing thinking that's it because as we do that like there is no right or wrong like everything exists kind of in flux and there's so many variables that go into it. like we like to there's so many variables that go into every decision and situation and we like to simplify things so much and and put them in this vacuum and kind of like i was just expressing and you kind of clarified with nazi germany and with hitler like there was a ton of shit that led to that but we just we just put our blinders on and just like nazi germany we kind of have it in a vacuum it's like when you when you recognize that there's no division between moments, experiences, situations, all of eternity, like everything in all of eternity led to Nazi Germany. And and we like to parse it out and be like, this was a bad thing. This is a good thing. But it's that mentality that's divisive, whether it's divisive in physicality, like of me versus you or events. Or situations it's like that end of the spectrum that is believing that things do exist separately that moments exist separately that situations exist separately that idea that this is right this is wrong is what keeps us in this situation as opposed to if we kind of zoom out open up our perspectives recognize that 
we don't know. There maybe isn't, you know, a specific right choice or wrong choice. There's just a infinite number of options that exist on a spectrum and we don't know how they're going to turn out, but it's like through recognizing that as opposed to pointing to this and being like, this is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. It allows us to get closer to you know, a less destructive way of being and less destructive choices. But I see it just on that spectrum of like open-mindedness to right and wrong is this and that there's a right and a wrong way to be good and bad things happen. And they're very, you know, secluded and separate versus open also being tied into unified and a, and a lack of division. Yeah. And likewise, with all the other divisive perceptions, the idea of different people, not just good and bad, but that there are different people who are good and bad. When we see somebody who is selfish, we tend to look at them as somebody who is selfish. We don't tend to look at it as a part of ourself that's still suffering through selfishness, through the illusion of it. We don't see that. We don't see it that way. And if we did, it would change our approach. It would also change the lessons that we get from it. Like Nazi Germany, since we're on the topic, we don't and we haven't and we didn't look at that as an inevitable wave caused by the mentality that we are collectively embodying. We'd rather say all Nazis were evil, but they were people. People who, much like other people in the world, right now uh, enlisted in the military because it was the thing to do, believed the government because everybody else believed the government, didn't question because nobody else was questioning until they basically had the tail of the tiger until it was too late, right? And so it's not that they were evil. It's just that they followed a mentality so far that it led to its inevitable conclusion. Right. But that, that was a cascade. That was a series of events that happened throughout numerous, numerous people over, over a decade. Like it took a long time for all of that to come to fruition. It's not just that all of a sudden people just turned evil, right? There was a lot there and we didn't see it as, oh, wow, look at that part of our mentality. Like that, that's where this goes. We didn't, we just went, they're evil. We got to stamp them down. Oh, except. Oh, except those guys, they, they've invented rockets and this guy invented mustard gas. Let's bring them on to the team. And that's exactly what happened was they, they basically defeated the Nazis and then took all the useful Nazis and maintained the mentality that created the Nazis. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I don't know how, how much I knew about that, which I guess... NASA. NASA was created by Nazi rockets and Nazi scientists. Holy shit. I mean, that just goes to show like the fact that I am unaware of that just goes to show how it's not openly discussed because that would make people uncomfortable. Like we're actually able to take something again in a vacuum, just be like, oh yeah, this is, this is completely separate. It's like there's literal overlap between Nazi Germany and something like NASA that now we don't see that in a negative viewpoint. I had a 
Manhattan high school that had NASA on it. Like wouldn't have thought twice about that being started by. Not started by, but definitely um, grown with, right? Like the, the Nazis had, well, just a shit ton of technological innovation. That's the reason that World War II went on so long. It's the reason that Hitler felt so confident. Right, it was because the not the German people themselves have always been leaders of industry, right? Even through World War One, um, that was one of the reasons the Kaiser felt so confident as well. Like Germany's always been one of the most industrious countries in the world, right? They've always been at at the front of technology, even now, right? And, and so, all of those scientists, well, they were still useful. Like the scientists who invented the rockets and whatnot that were used against, you know, Hitler's enemies, basically. Well, those scientists were useful. And so, yeah, largely they were recruited and brought to NASA to help develop the space program. Right. Because they're useful, but we don't talk about that. Right. And it's just, okay, but what else did they design? Well, what else did we use those rockets for? Oh, other missiles and the military industrial complex, which all benefited from Nazi technology. Because we didn't fight the war to end the war. We fought the war and got better at war. Right? That's the saddest part about the expression from World War I, that it was the war to end all wars. It's actually what they called it. And it didn't. Right? It just led us to the next century of of warfare like we had never seen. Because we're still in perpetual war. All the time. We don't call it that. That's how fucked things have gotten right we know we almost never call things a war despite the fact that there are conflicts all over the world right now that would be considered war right one way or another so we just kind of tap dance around it because i think we know that if we ever really threw down with everything we'd wipe ourselves off the map or at least a good portion of ourselves right like we've known that for a long time mad mutually assured destruction Right. That's the whole basis for uh, the Cold War. Right. Once one goes, they all go. So there's no point in anyone firing a shot. We're still just kind of sitting there. We're still sitting in that. And we call that peace. Yeah, it makes me wonder with symbolism, like as above, so below, if everything is always just symbolic of the degree to which we're confused about ourselves. Like it's always we're in conflict with reality and we're so distorted believing that the description is the described, that it manifests in so many different ways. And if, if it really makes me wonder if the symbolism isn't like perfect, always, always exactly the way in which I see myself, how clearly I see myself is reflective in all of the rest of all the situations that happen in all of reality. Like everything going on on this planet, it is always a reflection of where we're at collectively, of where I'm at, of me. (laughs) And because people even say like, you know, you see the world as as you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I've heard that so many times. And I think there's a depth to that that is not fully understood 
by a lot, like we, we buy a lot of people. And so we see it. It's like, Oh, you know, your, your perspective on things, like you, you see the world as a beautiful thing and like you experience it, you see it as a horrible, disgusting, awful thing. And that's all, all you ever see. But at the same time, like as you change your viewpoint of yourself and recognize, like we've been talking about that you've always been in the flow. It's like, as that perspective shifts, you actually have impact on it. And yes, you see things differently, which allows for you know, like more clarity to actually have impact on it. But anyway, going back to that first point, just like the, the perfect symbolism always of every degree of reality from the largest events to the smallest, most minuscule, like, I don't know how peaceful I feel pouring my cup of coffee in the morning, you know, even on any level of the spectrum, it's all impacting all of it. Makes me wonder. Yeah. Well, you're not the only person I've, I've been, well, you are the only person, but I've been wondering this myself for years. Like I've, we've talked about this, about how I don't tend to see the world as the physical thing that everybody else takes as face at face value. To me, it's more subjective, but as such, it's totally symbolic. It's all symbolism. I've been saying this for a long time. It's all symbolism. Now, what does that mean? And, and how do you use that? That's, that's a great question. I don't think you should use that. I think that that's just part of how you process things when you're out of the way, when you're in a deeper state of awareness. And on that note, actually, for anybody who hasn't seen it already, you should check out the latest community topics, community topics number 18, which is all about the tarot and imagination. We really go into exactly what we're talking about in this episode right now. We're talking about awareness on a deeper level to the point where symbolic meaning and cyclical timing are all just part of how you're processing the universe or how you're processing reality because we don't typically process it that way we typically have no imagination whatsoever we stick to very small concepts and we process things very slowly based on how we're feeling and there's so much that goes into that but when you get out of all that and you're just as we said an exposed nerve there's deep symbolism there's incredible timing all the time if you're just watching it just watching it rather than trying to to outpace it which is often the case again at the retreat i really had that sense that it's like my thoughts were just a second behind reality like i would start worrying about the next thing to do and immediately somebody would come along and tell me what the next thing to do was not directly but just kind of by virtue of their existence like oh look at all those doors that just opened Right. But it was always like up to that second. Oh, gosh, I'd be doing something. Where should I be going? Maybe I should go in my boom. Ah. And so I watched that for a little while. And it was it was hilarious to watch my doubts right up until the moment where reality solved the problem. Like just not getting involved with them, just watching them. Doubt, 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 doubt. Bam. Next branch. And that was it. And so I did that for, I think, an hour or two just kind of giggling to myself at how clear and obvious it was at that time. But we don't always exist in that state of awareness. We're not always slowed down to the point where we can watch our thoughts without being immediately triggered by each and every one of them. 
right? Thinking that they have something to do with us personally. Like, oh God, that's uncomfortable. I should do something about it. I need to cope. I need to, I need to balance this out. I need to get in there. It's just shh, let it pass, watch, see what happens next. Right. So yeah, it's it's a very different state of awareness. And, and again, I say that cautioning the listener to try and do that because that's not doing that. We were saying this on a Patreon call recently. You can't try to relax. Yeah, the uh, it's funny how listening to that, and I guess in the mentality I've I've been in, just you know, from my experience, I hear something like that, and immediately I'm like, "Oh, so just don't do anything, just sit there." I was no, nah, never mind. Uh, just sit like there, you're trying to relax. Yeah, exactly, and like just sit there on my hands and and not do anything. And there's almost like a feeling of of death that comes with that when you let go of you inflicting your will on things and all because we always feel like if something's happening we have to do something about it like we have to actively you know attack the situation change things like in like go grind and go get it and and do it and that whole mentality is just so egotistical in the sense that you feel like you always have to be the one doing it. Like you're the one always doing it, not recognizing the broadness of yourself and reality. And it's not that you don't do anything. It's just a subtle shift in the way. And I mean, subtle, uh, sort of subtle, but it's, it's a shift in the way that you interact with reality. And like, you're still doing all the stuff you've always done, but without the suffering and without the idea that it's not happening perfectly. And like that, that changes all the things that happen. And like you were saying, when, when you let go of the feeling like you had to go change things, it's like. Sometimes someone would come up to you and inform you about something. But if you weren't there for it, if you weren't paying attention to reality, you wouldn't have heard what they said. You wouldn't have seen what was happening. And so it's always there. It's always right there. And all you ever have to do is pay attention to it. And, and that will inform you more than you trying to inflict and instill your will upon the situation because that always clouds our ability to see what's happening because oftentimes when you're when you're looking for you know an answer or what to do it's like it's kind of all around you but you think you're the one who has to figure it out could be that someone else has been talking to you and you've just had this you've been so set on the idea of you you haven't heard what they're saying and if you had let go of the idea that you're the one who has to figure it out, just let reality happen may happen way more easily. Likely, almost definitely will happen way more easily. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, quick tangent. It got me thinking about childhood, right? Because that that's how we start. We don't start with this litany of doubt, right? We don't start with this soundtrack about ourselves all the time in our head at all. We just kind of start as an exposed nerve reality informs we watch reality 
We choose a direction, we go down that direction, we learn more. We choose another direction, we go down the direction, we learn more. Over time, we start building this idea of ourself or our brain starts to build this idea of ourself as it learns concepts and whatnot. And so it's like we forget nothing changed. You're still experiencing life in the same way. It's just that now you have an arsenal of concepts, right? That unfortunately can also become kind of a wall. Um, but that goes to my second point that, see, we, we know that our perception of need and our, perce our perception of lack changes what we do. We know that because we know that as people become more desperate, they tend to turn more to crime. We know this, right? These are people who wouldn't be criminals otherwise. So it's the stress of their environment that's actually overweighing their, their awareness of the destruction they're causing or, well, yeah, and, and limiting the empathy out of necessity because you're trying to survive. So there's that divisive uh, environment, once again, motivating you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do out of a need to survive. So you look at our society, you look at the number, at the amount of crime, you look at the amount of corruption, and you look at the environment and you realize, oh, this is what makes sense in a divisive mentality. Because it is. In a divisive mentality, it makes sense to take care of yourself. It makes sense to get yours. It makes sense to have the biggest house, right? It makes sense to value yourself through all these things. It makes sense in the divisive mentality because you're alone. Of course, you got to take care of yourself. And so when you look at the world, as much as we want to vilify it, all of this makes sense according to how we see ourselves as separate. And, and that's the point. It is symbolism and it affects everything right down to nature, right? Look, look what's happening to nature. Like it's slowly disappearing, right? Not that it will ever disappear because of course we'll disappear long before it does, but yeah, it's all symbolism. Yeah. That statement, um, getting yours kind of hit me because it's like the difference between a criminal and someone who's not a criminal, it's not that their mentality is any different. It's just the way in which they do it. That's it. Like there's not even, oh fuck. There's not even so like laws because laws are made up by us based on our experiences and whatnot. You know, getting yours, the difference between a criminal and someone who isn't is just which side of the arbitrary line of the law they exist upon. And that's dictated based on how deep that sense of lack is and how much need you have to to get yours you know to to steal or satisfy this desire to i don't even know what you know killing would actually lead to like a, a murder or whatnot like what deeper desire i guess that differs completely but by the person but like seeing that with the mentality of just being your idea of you and that's it cut off from all of reality as we live based on that idea whether or not we commit crimes is just based off of our experiences the influences that we had growing up how we saw things could be done you know things that we were taught but it's the same root of selfishness of that 
doing it solely for yourself because that's all that you think that you are. So, so many people are acting in that same way and just some subtle shifts in their upbringing and their experiences would have caused them to flip over on the other side of that line. But it's like the root mentality isn't any different on either side. It's just whether or not you commit a crime is dependent upon which side of that arbitrary line you fall upon, which was all made up by us. Again, like all the things in this reality, they're not inherently tied to the fabric of reality. Like none of it was ever said that it had to be this way. Like any law from the most extreme laws, even it's just how we developed based on the experiences that we have. But that's the same on the collective, how we developed the laws and the individual, how we developed and how we viewed those laws and the system that created it and our willingness to buy in or buy out of it and the likelihood of, you know, getting away with something or the degree to which we feel like we need to do something and our lack of care of whether or not, you know, we get away with it because we're so desperate in ourselves to satisfy that black hole of desire for satisfaction or to be seen or whatever it may be that we don't necessarily have an idea of the best way to go about that. So we do our best to do it existing in a state of distortion. But as we let go of that, it has to be on both sides of that arbitrary line of the law for it to shift. It can't be just through putting more band-aids on and just like putting more laws on top of it. It has to be a shift in mentality within yourself, within myself, within ourself. There has to be empathy. There has to be empathy, right? And that's what we miss. That's why so much of our history, especially in North America, in North America was you know, prisons where people were mistreated. Like you did something wrong. Obviously beating you is going to help you learn, right? Or sticking you in this box is going to help you learn. It wasn't about them learning. It was about us punishing. It was about us validating ourselves. We're good people. They're bad people. Therefore, they should be punished, right? Whereas uh, in Europe and actually act here in British Columbia, um, they, they've decriminalized all drugs, right? All major drugs. Whoa. Why? Well, because there's a stigma that creates the need for people to hide and people who are hiding often end up dealing with other people who are hiding, who have nefarious reasons for doing so. And so it adds to crime. It adds to not just crime, but it adds to shame. It adds to people overdosing because they don't feel safe that they can connect to other people when they might need help. Right. And so British Columbia is trying that now for the next three years. Uh, in Europe, there's, I don't remember which country it is. I was watching this on a documentary. I thought it was fantastic. Basically, their, their prison is like a little community that's separated from everywhere else, where even people who have you know, gone to, quote unquote, jail for murder are in the kitchen volunteering and holding knives and like cutting dinner and stuff for people trusted and and as a result of being trusted as a result of having something that adds value to themselves or, or they perceive is a way for them to express their value i guess is a better way of putting it 
they start to get better. And it's because the society that's around them doesn't look at them like something's wrong. It looks, or that doesn't look at it like there's something's wrong with them. It looks at it like there's something wrong with the environment, that these people are sick and just need help so they can heal themselves, right? That there's a way that we get there that's not just defining you as a terrible person. And if we had that approach long-term for people growing up in the system, not just people who are being introduced to this program now, because it's, it's useful now, but we've never seen what that will do over 50 years. We've never tried it, right? And so I think that's the point is just a little bit more freedom a little bit more empathy and society will slowly change, but it very much comes down to how we view ourselves and how we view others as a result. You know, if, if I'm trying to self-define, then I need to judge other people. Yeah, they go hand in hand. Like you can't really have one without the other. And yet we try to avoid judgment while holding on to the limited idea of myself and therefore other people. And comparison and that kind of mentality, but and and even experiencing empathy through a state of a perception of division being the truth is still going to be limited to the degree that which you can experience that empathy. You know, and so when uh I, I see with the prison system and and jail and whatnot, like it's just such a short-term like satisfaction, like we, we don't want to look at it or change anything because we're so caught up in the idea of ourselves, And because of that, we you know, see ourselves as, you know, having a 70, 80, 90 year lifetime. And so we don't really care what's, how reality is impacted beyond our lifetime. Maybe we do for our kids. So it's like one generation for the next beyond a hundred years from now doesn't really matter too much to us. So we're just constantly looking for short-term band-aid solutions to things when it's pretty obvious that they're not a cure or an actually long-term solution. But if we, if we do work on those longer term solutions, there is a process of learning about that and we're not willing to face that because there could be some bumps along that road because it's such a different mentality and so as soon as you know, we hit a bump in that road we're just like oh just stop that no more of that because we have such a limited perspective on things and as much as people like to say that they care about everything else happening and there are a lot of people who do so who still hold on to the limited idea of themselves, but it's it's almost like, is it possible to have a long-term, an actually long-term view of solutions and fixing problems while you're holding on pretty tightly to the limited idea of yourself? It seems like it's almost, there. there's an inherent limitation based on how limited of a view you see yourself for the ways you see solutions for a lot of the things we're dealing with right now. That's a really interesting point, right? Like it kind of makes you wonder how would 
if you were to leave a, a lasting message for society going forward, how it, what would that message be in terms of guidance? Because you can't control, right? But there has to be some indicator that we're confused, right? Fear. That's it. You ever notice in politics, there's never anyone who stops and goes, you sound really afraid though. Maybe your opinion's not coming from a place of clarity. Nobody does that, right? Like, cause they actually use fear to their advantage and we drive everything with fear, right? But as a society, as a group, as a collective, as an individual collective, however you'd like to put it, if we recognize that fear is almost always a sign that we're seeing things from a distorted point of view. And I don't mean fear like someone's chasing you with a knife. That's a different kind of fear. I, I mean, psychological fear where there's no actual danger in front of you, but you are afraid of being less. You're afraid of how it defines you. So egotistical fear is kind of what I'm saying. So at that point, I think, if we could just keep an eye on that, that would change quote unquote politics. That would change how we operate largely, but we lose sight of that. Again, you know, you look at religion and its fixation on faith. That's kind of what they're getting across, right? But they don't put it that way. They don't really say like, you know, if you're afraid, let that pass. Though we get, we, we really do try to imply it a, you know, a lot in a lot of our different belief structures around God, right? Have faith and all that, surrender to God's will, but at the same token, watch out for all of God's rules and live up according to these expectations. And so there's a lot of contradictions is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's still that that root distortion that's always going to reinforce that fear that you're experiencing. But it does make me wonder with psychological fear. I think that is the case that the degree of psychological fear we experience is entirely connected to the perception of division we experience between and feel between ourself and the rest of reality. Because I, I've said this before, like we, and you know, there's gray area and nuance with everything, but to a degree, it's like we suffer based on the things we identify as and we fear the things we don't identify as. And so it's always that sort of, it's like that sort of spectrum. So as you let go of the specific thing you identify as, it's like, it's not that you experience suffering in the same way, but I guess suffering and when it's outside of the idea of you could be empathy in a way like, if, if you're identified just as your idea of yourself and someone makes fun of, you know, your hand, you suffer, you don't suffer. I don't suffer when someone makes fun of Ray's hand, you know, cause I don't identify as that. But as I let go of the idea of me, someone makes fun of Ray's hand. It's not that I suffer in the same way, but I experience that in a more a state of empathy. And then when things, you know, they're like fucking cutting down forests left and right, or like shaving off the tops of mountains, it's not that I suffer in the way that I did when I was so caught up in the idea of myself, but to a degree, there is an experience of suffering because that is, as I let go of the idea of myself, it's like, that's now within myself. 
And so there's more suffering there. And so it's like that goes for all of reality and all of society. So I guess it is kind of on that spectrum of how you see things. And it's not that it has to be a negative thing, but you just experience the empathy for things like suffering when you're caught up in the idea of yourself could be a degree of empathy for yourself for going through the situation in a way, sort of like I see them. I don't know if that's getting across, but like I'm see I'm seeing suffering and empathy as kind of interconnected based on the degree to which you perceive division and yourself suffering almost becomes empathy in a way. So then on the, on the other end, fear, seeing fear is like, you're afraid of things that you don't identify as at least psychologically, as Ray said, like, you know, someone's chasing you with a knife. There's, there's like an inherent physical fear to that. Like that's a protective mechanism and that's totally useful and super beneficial. And I'm super glad that we experienced that, but with a psychological fear, like any, any sort of the common fears that we experience in society, you wouldn't fear something when you're talking or, or when you're recognizing that everyone there is you, everything you're doing is you. Like if, for example, just like public speaking, you're talking to a bunch of people as you recognize yourself in all of them the fear goes down. Just like if you're alone in your room, just talking out loud, there's very rarely fear in that way because it's just you. But then if you're in a room full of a thousand people, it's still just you. You're still just talking to yourself. And the amount of distortion that you perceive based on the difference you know, between yourself and reality, like that's the degree to which you psychologically fear things. So I see that fear and suffering and then suffering turns to empathy as you let go of that that idea of yourself. There's less to fear as you let go of the idea of yourself because there is less things that you don't identify as, which is kind of where fear is rooted. Absolutely, right? It's like the fear of judgment. Who are you afraid of judging you? Well, other people, how do you think they're going to judge you? And then you'll list all of your judgments of yourself. Oh, so you think they're going to judge you like you judge yourself? Because that's the point, right? Is that you're perceiving these people as separate, but you're still perceiving them as you. Whether you recognize it or not, that's the whole point, right? You perceive their judgments as your as their judgments, but they're your judgments coming through them. You're just not willing to accept that they're your judgments. And so you hold on to the idea that they're theirs. But they weren't theirs. They're yours. But you don't want to be everyone. So you blame others. Yeah, that's uh, that's a funny one when you start to recognize it. Like if you actually looked at the things you're afraid of being judged for, it's just how you judge yourself. So whether you recognize yourself in everyone else clearly or not, it's still just you. So even if it's the idea of you you're caught up in, like you're still seeing the idea of you in them. And so no matter what, you're always seeing yourself, whether it's the reality of you or the idea of you, because everyone's always just a reflection. 
And, you know, the degree to which you perceive yourself to have a mask on, you perceive them to have a mask on. Like it's all, it's all like a, we, we think of it as a shield, but really it's a barrier. Really it's a wall between yourself and reality, but we perceive that wall to, to protect us when in reality, it's just cutting our, cutting us off from reality and from the flow and from the peace that's available when we let go of that perception of division and that idea that it's not just us. So then as you let go of the wall between yourself and reality, you let go of the wall between everyone else. And then you're seeing yourself as well, but instead of the idea of yourself, it's the truth of yourself, but it has to be through you and a letting go of the perception of you as something separate from anything or anyone. And as you continue on that process, you begin to see yourself more clearly, that truth of what you are in everyone and everything else as well. And then, you know, you got less fear, more empathy, less suffering. <laughs> we always want to avoid the reality, though. The only thing you know is you. The only thing you've ever known is you. The universe that you're aware of is your awareness, as we were saying. We don't like that. It's uncomfortable, right? Like that's that's a deep hole. Like, okay, what about everybody else? Uh, still, you know it through yourself. Even all the physical sensations, even the world that you see isn't necessarily the result of your biology, but your interpretation of that biology, right? An interesting experiment, actually. So they had this group of people put on these specialized, sun, uh, these specialized glasses and these glasses would reverse the image of what you were looking at. So you, everything that you saw was upside down. And the group was expected to keep these glasses on for a certain period of time, and they did so. And you wanna know the funny part? Eventually, they started seeing the world right side up because their brain adapted to make it make sense. So it wasn't even about what their body was interpreting anymore. It was about their mind interpreting it in a way that made sense because we're very adaptable. But we tend to think like, no, no, if I, if I didn't see the world this way, it would always be upside down. Uh, your brain's going to adapt with you. And that's true for your, your perception of everyone else. Right? If you think you're perceiving everybody as separate, that's how you perceive them. That's what makes sense to you. Right? You'll see it that way. See, it doesn't make sense to me anymore, or at least it makes sense to me less and less. And so as a result, I don't perceive people that way. My brain doesn't make that my reality because that doesn't make sense to me anymore. I've questioned that. So when they have the glasses on, so right now, for example, in my view, like my computer in front of me is, you know, screen keys below it. So it flipped it. So it was keys above screen below, but then you're saying like their brain was able to switch it. So it's screen above keys below for their experience. Yeah. Damn. Okay. So, cause so I guess what makes you think your brain's not doing that now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't say. There, there's we no are way not seeing reality we know this we're not seeing reality we're not even touching reality because no atoms touch 
I'm just going to leave that there in that awkward silence. Oh man. Um, okay. So let's, let's fucking take this where we're going now. Um, so on Friday on our call, we were talking and I was like, just very relaxed and kind of felt like I was tripping, you know, and, and, uh, I was able to, I think someone brought up death. We were talking about that a little bit and that experience. And I was able to almost experience a perception of what I feel like it would be like as we were talking and it was like just an extreme letting go and it was kind of like the white light sensation of just everything going in back into you know whiteness and i i was feeling like holy shit this was all a dream like this was all me hallucinating this entire experience, all of it. And so this idea that we're, we're perceiving things, how our brain is telling us they're being perceived. And even that, you know, atoms don't touch. It's like the whole thing is a hallucination. Yes. Like, no. Yeah. It's as real as you are. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is, is now. See, we have to redefine real, right? Like that's the yeah. whole thing about the idea of real. It doesn't make sense when you start looking at it from this perspective, right? The, a, the dream of reality itself is reality. You can't, there's no unreal. So that's kind of the point, right? Like it's not a hallucination. It's just not what it appears to be, right? We have the experience and the perception of division that can't possibly exist. That's what makes it a miracle. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. So with... It almost felt like on that call, it was kind of like video game type feeling where it's like you you wake up to real it, it is really like waking up and being like oh my god it was all a dream but that was this a really real dream like yeah. that's the thing is that you you don't want to take you don't want to take that too far like there's two perspectives here and both of them are very important one the first is that this is as real as it gets suffering included suffering pain fear doubt all that shit it's all in there okay so it's really important to recognize that when you're going through that it's real it's very very real which is what makes it suck even more you can't forget that about the experience of suffering because that's what disconnects you from everyone else when you do get to the other far side of the pendulum which is that oh shit i'm eternal and there's nothing actually to fear and whatever I go through is kind of temporary and I'm going to do this forever anyway. And that's the other side of this, of the spectrum where it starts to feel video game, like where you're like, Oh, worst that could happen is I die. And that's, that's how far apart those two perspectives are. And so there's so much gray area that you have to live within. Otherwise you get disconnected from everybody within that gray area, which is everybody. Right. And this is why, 
people like Teal Swan went to one side of the perspective and they went, oh, you know, suicide is just a reset button. Now you're devaluing the experience of living, right? Now you're devaluing the importance of, of pain and suffering. And so it really is important to live on both sides of that spectrum, both and neither, as always. Yeah, because I think, so thinking about that sort of feeling where I s saw, at least in my current state, what death may be like, just extreme relaxation, letting go of all of the things I believe to be true. It's still, there is still a, a twang of ego in that like idea of myself because uh, I'm still perceiving myself dying basically like it's still it's like a letting go of myself as I'm holding on to myself almost that's an interesting point because what you think of as yourself is really division right like that's the whole thing like you're thinking about yourself as the experience of division and that's true We've actually talked about this. this is where uh, we tend to uh, disagree with the non-duality crowd. There is no me. There's no me. There's always a me. There's always a me. But it's not the idea of you. It's the experience of, quote unquote, you. Right? That always exists. But when you're looking at death, that's the end of that illusion. Right? Not that it ever ends because it never really existed. It was all just potential anyway. <laughs> right. But that's kind of the point. It's a fun conversation when you get down to it. Yeah. Cause hmm, it's like that. I mean, like you were saying, it's the balance between recognizing it, but not, it's almost like not staying. Eh, like you can stay in it. Sort of. Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of your life is to not be in it. Yeah. Okay. The question is, how big's the gap? See, that's that's my question, right? Like the entire idea of an ego death or, or ego disillusion is the realization that you can touch home, right? Like you can you can touch home. You can tap into home. Psychedelic experiences, deep states of relaxation, meditation. Uh, near-death experiences all of these things are you catching a glimpse of your vastness and that relaxation but going back to your point about fear of death and all that it's it's again it's this idea that without the experience there is no you right and you are the foundation of all experience the experience and the experiencer all wrapped up in a potential right that's it so there can't ever not be a you, but it, it's not Andrew. It's always reality itself. Always reality itself. And, and we identify in whatever form we're in. That's it, right? And that's, that's why. You know, they're like, oh, it's the eternal I am, right? But that's just the experience of I am. Right. The reality is just being. There's no word for it. Right. It's uh, everything exists because it can, because it has the potential to do so. 
yeah, like there isn't this, we like to think there's this kind of superimposed reason based on our perspective of how we see ourselves and, and everything else. Like the reason for it is like a very dualistic perspective that, oh, this happened, there must be a reason for that. But recognizing that there isn't, as that kind of falls away, as does the division, as does the cause and effect mindset. And it's like the cause is the effect, the, the effect is the cause. There's no division between those two. And so on Friday, I was kind of, uh, it's kind of like seeing, I was seeing the void or the abyss for a bit. And like, there's still discomfort in that for sure. But it's, I'm getting more used to it. And that is like, there was a few minutes where I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know about this. And then, you know, I get off the call, go back to the people in the house that I'm with. And it kind of like settles back in. So it's like, you can, you can see it, you can recognize that, but it, and it doesn't, doesn't change, but it does. Like it really does change how you interact with reality. And it can be a beneficial understanding when you don't, get lost in it or or like don't take it too too seriously because if you do it's like and the perception of division goes away at least momentarily it's like there like what is like what even is there to do but like you can do anything but if you get caught up in like the fear of it it can freak it's you out. Opinion. It's the opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because opinion always goes back to that, that sense of identity, which is fear, right? So as soon as you're giving into your opinion of everything you're seeing, you're limiting how much you're seeing, which I think is actually kind of our, our um, defense mechanism. It's almost like we start to see how much we are. We go, <clears throat> and in the, <clears throat> that's what we're, that's how we're protecting ourselves. We're pulling back and holding on to opinion in order to cut off the flow. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so like, and we don't even realize that though. We do it almost unconsciously until we see it get, you know, get a glimpse into the reality of what we're avoiding. Like then it, it's not that it it, it kind of makes sense after you see it, but it's not necessary. But before you, if you don't see it or recognize that through, you know, letting go of yourself, that it becomes more available. It's like you're kind of unconsciously formulating all of these opinions using the defense mechanism without knowing why. And so you're just caught in it, but that process of understanding why is a process. Like, I, I don't like saying journey or process or anything, but it it's like, it is, I think maybe just based on the degree of distortion that we have and hold on to out of fear, 
It's like we're using this defense mechanism that we don't even necessarily understand why in a way because we're so far from seeing why. It's the thing though, like our experience is progression. Like we are experiencing duality, right? So that doesn't just mean your journey. That means the journey of your environment as well, right? So the why may just be appropriateness to the rest of the environment, which is still you. It's just that we're focused on our little, little tiny part, right? Instead of recognizing, right? It's not just a little tiny part. It's part of the whole fabric. It's part of the whole tapestry. It's all moving together. So maybe the why is because, because it has to be, which is kind of the most frustrating answer, right? Yeah, uh, it is. It kind of reinforces that. Not the thing that makes me uncomfortable, but kind of like looking into the void or or the abyss or kind of seeing that. It's like there's no there's no relativity. Like there's no this versus that. It's just is it is because. <laughs> And that there's no, and that's so unsatisfying to the ego and to me and fucking a, like it is because like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like that doesn't give me any satisfaction. That might be the least satisfying statement I could ever say to someone, but that's what it is. And so we, we almost create the opinions to satisfy that, but it's unsatisfiable. And so it just, reinforces and and perpetuates the suffering because we're trying to grasp it's like grasping onto something that isn't there and just we just keep trying to do it until we can recognize that we don't have to and we we can but not with the same weight anymore yeah well, this is one of the things that uh i went deep on this one The idea that there's no God to me, like there's no creator. It's a real kick in the teeth. You take that long enough and recognize it's just you and eternity. It's a lot. We want there to be a creator. We want there to be creation. We want there to be a rhyme and a reason because the alternative is eternity. And so we do all this for a very good reason. Because as beautiful as that is, it's a lot. Right? And it's taken time for you, me, us collectively, individually, collectively, to come to terms with that reality again. Because even, even in recognizing that, there's... A double-edged sword. Remember, all the things we're talking about change our perception of the world and each other and make different opportunities available. We talk about past civilizations or, or the idea of them, the possibility of previous pinnacles of human existence and previous types of technology and things like that, all of, the, all of which would be the result of a greater state of awareness, right? Aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, you know, the idea of... of uh, interstellar flight, all of that kind of hinges on the idea of seeing the universe in a dramatically different way than we do right now. 
a friend of mine once uh, put it this way, because we were talking at the beginning of the episode of you know, kind of how primitive we are, that we're so primitive that we're driving around in metal little boxes that are propelled by exploding dinosaur bones. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, it's funny when you see it like that, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is a lot and it does make sense why we do all of this to, it's like, it's almost like to directly avoid this recognition. But then when you start to look at the way things are right now and the absurdity of it if you're still you know the frustration comes from a perception of division as well like with like the the absurdity of, of this conversation that we're having right now of the you know staring into the void whatever and seeing there's no relativity between anything other than what we create within ourselves like it is because it can or it is because it can because whatever like any of those statements are and then to see the way things are right now with the amount of destruction and lack of clarity and and just anger and frustration and suffering and killing and all of that is like it's such a far end of the other side of the spectrum of recognizing that it's just you for eternity and there is no not you there also is it's like there is you but i feel like that almost implies other as well like if you're if it's all you yeah i know it's like the i guess the vastness of that the never ending the infinity infiniteness of space that's why you that's why i have an issue with that whole i am thing right like oh it's it's the divine i am it's like, when you really get it kind of recognize like even the the word i it's a bit of a distortion because there has to be a you yeah i guess yeah and like you said language is just inherently divisive like you can never absolutely clearly say what it is we can just do our best to get there but you can never you know there's no touching the line like on a curve on a graph it's like there is no touch to that when you're using language but yeah it can't be yeah can't be done i had this conversation on tiktok this weekend because somebody's like no i disagree it's a given of course you are what else could there be so what what were they disagreeing with that i am is the most important thing to be able that that we can say that it's necessary for the universe basically that it's the divine i am and and this is something that goes around a lot because it sounds really good and it's very biblical right i am that i am despite the fact that in the torah that's not what it says right so we just really got attached to that divine i am because it's very self-affirming especially for the ego 
I was just funny when you said for the ego, I was, I was just thinking right before that it's pretty egotistical. Like it is still, it's so funny how it, it pops up in so many ways, even the extreme end of, you know, being so close to letting go of that perception of division of the me of the idea of myself, it still is able to come up in the, in the, I am because it, it implies idea of you in a oh, way. It implies so much worse too. It implies that there's, there's a source I am. That's the big one that gets me. It has that same intonation as God, that we're a part of something larger. Like computers connected to a network. That's often the view. Because again, we don't like the reality, which is that it's just you. All of it is just you. You look at yourself as a small fraction of it because of your self-image. That's the experience you're having, is this very tiny perspective of yourself. And as you let that go, you start to recognize it really is all you. And that that path has been largely unexplored. It's the narrow path that Jesus was talking about, as opposed to the wide path traveled by many, right? It's unexplored because we don't, it's uncomfortable. And again, our society currently is based on the reward system that goes along with being divided. That's the biggest problem. There is a reward system for perceiving yourself as divided. Basically, it's interesting. There's a song by Eddie Vedder. Uh, I can't remember the, what the song's title is, but uh, he says, you know, it's interesting to me that we have agreed to which we have agreed. And it's basically this global agreement that greed is a good thing. And that's really funny because that's exactly what it is. That's why our society is so focused on competition, right? It's because we're so focused on division. Yeah, without so much perception of division, there is way less competition, if if any, you know, and because you're just competing with yourself, thinking that you're not, but there's so much less responsibility in that idea of, you know, being connected to source, a fragment of source, a computer and a network, that type of thing. There's so much less responsibility. And it's still holding on to even if you say you don't believe in god there's still that belief that there's a creator me there's something other than you that's all it ever comes down to is if you perceive that there's something other than you it's always going to come up in any way that you you know try to express it because even just that same even though i you know haven't believed in sky daddy in a while you know talking about that at the retreat that you know there's no creator to meet it just hits differently like it really even if you recognize that you know this idea of sky daddy doesn't exist and you've let that one go there's no creator to meet that's heavy that's fucking heavy oh man especially for eternity. Yeah.
and that's that's the rabbit hole I went down on a specific psychedelic trip that we've talked about previously. Um, I went deep down that rabbit hole, the fact that it's always you forever. There is only the perception of division. And I suffered through all of the of the loneliness and the isolation that goes with that perception. Right? As an eternal being that will never meet its creator, that will just exist because you are existence itself. You start to actually feel for God. <laughs> you actually start to empathize with the perspective of being unity. And that's the reason that you don't vilify the ego. It's because you recognize it's, it's the governor. It's how we slow down our acceptance of this incredibly large insight of accountability, of responsibility. That's why it's so uncomfortable. Think about it. If it's just me and you look at the world, holy shit. I've been putting off cleaning up after this party, right? And it's just because oddly enough, the putting it off is the focusing on myself as the fiction. See, we keep wanting to fix reality, but reality is all fucked up because we're not accepting that we are reality. That division is what makes it possible for us to throw garbage, you know, in a, in a nature reserve or to just you know, throw our shit out the window. It's what makes it possible to, re to be rude to a stranger just because you're focused on yourself. It changes everything, it changes everything. And that's the point is that we keep tackling this from the wrong end. We keep trying to fix reality instead of recognizing we're reality. The problem, the, the thing that's broken about reality is our lack of accountability as it. Yeah, so circling around this insight and because I feel like even, you know, saying that you are reality, like that's super beneficial to reality. You're still able very much to hold on to the idea of yourself in that recognition. So I'm curious, like going deeper as we were just touching on with the eternity and, and being God for forever all of it like being being it not even god like i i even that word is is Cheap. implies yeah like it it's so much so much fucking deeper than that is that uh is that the i don't even know how to phrase this but like is that the deepest insight you can have like is that not that it's the end, because that's not not what I'm saying, but like there's depth to that recognition. But could there even be anything? That's the far deeper? end of the conceptual mess. Because yeah. that's where all your concepts break down. Right? That's the rabbit hole we haven't explored. What happens beyond the concept of division? But yeah, that, that's it. That's where all our concepts stop. That's one of the reasons it makes us so uncomfortable. Right? Even the concept of a creator, which is one of the hardest ones to let go of. That's why I was facing that one for so long because it's pinnacle to our existence. It really is. That perceived division, absolutely. Like I still find myself dipping in and out of it from time to time as we have these conversations about the, the larger flow of things about surrendering as it were to flow state and all that because that very much implies that there's a flow outside yourself 
but you are the flow, right? So again, you, you find yourself still using concepts to describe what is undescribable with concepts. And each and every time you hold on to a concept, it's allowing you to continue to interact with the world in a way that's familiar to you, but slightly modified. Then you question that concept, you go a little deeper again, right? And the whole question is, the depth of that, how does that impact not just my experience, but my experience, the individual collective, right? Because it's all one thing. There's no division. You are what is. Yeah, I find myself bouncing kind of off that recognition, like a flow state. We love to think that, you know, you can be in and out of flow state. Even, even the idea like we want to be in flow state implies that, you know, it can be possible to not be in flow state, flow state, like that's more comfortable than recognizing that you can't not be in flow state. Cause that's kind of the same thing of being it. There's no creator to meet for all of eternity. It's the same kind of a, a different perspective of the same recognition. It's like all of a sudden in, in my head, the way it's like processes it is, is, going from like, you know, flow state, not flow state, me kind of like bouncing between to they just, they just connect, like they just, they just meet. And it's like, oh, it's like, it's, it's very relaxing. But at the same time, very heavy. It's almost like, isn't it funny how freedom is heavy? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, when you're, you're relaxed, like your shoulders drop, and you kind of just like feel everything sink down it's almost like is that is that like a weight almost pushing you down not a weight in the sense of like a, a ball and a chain but just like i don't know sinking into where you're at whereas when i always think of it as like groundedness yeah right that's where the reality kicks in and that's what we're always saying right the philosophy is the disease for which it should be the cure right the concepts aren't the point the, con the concepts aren't the point. It's not about talking about unity. It's not about you know, saying we're all connected. It's about letting go and seeing it full in the face, deeper and deeper and deeper throughout your existence because it changes everything you do, changes everything you see, and it changes your capacity to experience existence with less conflict and, and uh, more freedom. I guess is, is the way to put it or the best way I, I can put it, but it really is just about the inevitable recognition that happens when you surrender, because it is, it's inevitable. The question is just how much are you willing to surrender? And that's it. There's no, there's no obligation by any means. You can hold on to your idea of yourself your entire life. Right? You can struggle, you can try and build yourself up, you can dream, you can set goals, you can do all of that. And there's nothing wrong with it. Unless there is to you. But it's important to be honest about that. And it's difficult to be honest about that when you're firmly rooted in an environment that, that is yours, that is your dream, that uh, is largely created around the the avoidance of freedom that is largely created as an overcommitment to that that idea of yourself it's very difficult to break out of that when everybody around you is saying this is the only game in town right and that's largely because you you all of you have been avoiding this for 
so long. And I say so long, just to throw this back in the mix, in this timeline, in this iteration of the story, because there's numerous other iterations of the story that still exist here and now where you're not avoiding it at all. Oh man. Yeah. That one's, that's an interesting one too, that just all of the, you know, timelines are all of the possibilities from, you know, rooted in right now beyond this all, all happen as well. And I experienced this one, but it's not even that you know, I I think I expressed this a couple of weeks ago that we think of all the paths. It's like, you know, there, there's a hundred from right now, approximately, you know, from, from here, I could say, talk about this. I could completely shift, be like, I like the color blue and it's interesting. And I, this pair of blue jeans and, you know, whatever, it's like, just go on a complete tangent, but it's not a hundred. It's not a thousand. It's not a million. It's an infinite number of iterations and so those lines that you perceive of like this being the the root here and now to you know kind of like ribbons coming off of it they all kind of compress into it's like an infinite number but also you're only experiencing one so it's like both and neither of those i forget where i was going with the with the start of this but i think just that recognition is, I don't know, like just kind of mind blowing. And also, uh, and the fact that your path right now is the result of numerous other points where you had a hundred different options to get to where you are now. And they all exist in the here. And I see that's the thing about the multiverse, right? It's not just that every possible option from where you are now exists but every possible option before now that got you to now because there's numerous different nows that you could be in right now that all could have like this morning for example you could have gotten up sent me a text and said i don't feel like doing the show today and be doing something else entirely and that would have been based on other nows happening before then that would have modified your option for this morning because you would have had a different mentality that would have changed your choice right so that's the point is that every now affects all the other nows but we're always deciding in what way because they all exist now it's like you're never not experiencing the one that you are so it's like you are that always it after and before each infinite number of things that could have led to here now and anywhere that they're going here now but you can't experience any of those simultaneously <laughs> unless you can't that's a really good question isn't it right and this is where we go back to the conversation we were having in community topics number 18 about tarot and imagination and addiction and and again you know even going into our last episode uh on season four episode four about the subconscious we don't really know we don't really know what's possible for us as awareness at all. I mean, again, we were talking about Buddha closing his eyes and he was saying he experienced like, you know, like 10,000 lives. It's like, wow. Okay. Because we're, again, we're talking about the capacity of awareness, awareness, free 
of concepts like time, like space, like individuality. And that's a lot of imagination. Like that is an untapped quote unquote imagination that is awareness. So yeah, I don't know what's possible at all. I'll never say I know what's possible, but I know that as you were describing all of those moments, you were catching fragments of them in your, in your mind, right? And so if you were to slow down even more, those fragments would expand. They would become easier for you to look at a little bit clearer, right? Because that's always the point is that we rush past things and it's that rushing that limits our perspective or our appreciation of them. Same is true for our imagination. You can get so immersed in, again, your imagination that it feels real, right? Like hypochondria is a perfect example, right? People who are always thinking that they're sick actually end up becoming sick. Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting. It's like, if you're fearing being sick, you're imagining it. And could that be experiencing, you know, another timeline in your mind? Could it be that our imagination slash mind is our ability to, to experience all of the other infinite pathways and potentials at all times. And there can be almost like an overlap where we perceive an experience and it's not that it's exactly this experience, but there's like enough overlap that it actually happens in this reality and, and our imagination and mind is our ability to tap into the vastness of myself and potentially experience other other lifetimes and it makes me wonder if that's not just what's happening right now and i've just said that this one's real totally possible or what's the limits in terms of human longevity Right? Like we talk about our lifetimes and the development of illness and, and disease over time. Uh, Deepak Chopra in his book, uh, Ageless Body, Quantum Mind, um, was talking about the fact that nobody dies of old age. Nobody dies of old age. They always die of some illness that results from the weakening of their body over time. But nobody actually dies of old age which is really interesting, especially given the conversation we were having about cancer in community topics number 17 and the, result, like the results of stress, the effect of stress, the effect of, again, the perception of division. If you think about it, what's more stress-inducing than fear, right? And how it contributes to illness. And so the question being, again, like what's possible when you really do recognize it's all you and your body falls in line with that? right? You start thinking about spontaneous remissions, you start thinking about uh, miracle healings, you know, that kind of thing, whenever they actually have legitimately happened. And you start to wonder, what was the change there? And that's the thing we can't quantify, because each, each and every person is so very different, right? For you to make a conscious leap is not something that we have the ability to measure or understand as a society. And so if you were to be ill and suddenly have a leap of intuition that changed your entire viewpoint on everything so dramatically that your body had no choice but to adapt accordingly, 
because your diet changed, your environment changed, your habits change, your perceptions change, your stress all drops, things like that. And your body is just like, holy shit, we got to reinvent ourselves now. There's no way for us to go. How are you thinking differently now? We can ask a survey, but that doesn't really give us an answer because again, we're looking at concepts and concepts are always limited by not just the person using them, but the person listening to them. So we're all stumbling around dark in this perception of division, trying to communicate with one another from the perception of division, wondering why we can't hear one another. Like existing in that state is always going to perpetuate the distortion that we're kind of like trying to escape sort of, but like, are we trying to escape it or are we clinging to it because we're afraid of escaping it kind of like you know a prison cell with an open door we don't know what's out there so we stay in it and we we keep going because we've figured out ways to feel better or more comfortable to the degree that we can understand that end of you know comfort or relaxation that's super limited based on our perception of ourself. And so we're not even willing to, you know, wonder or question what's possible beyond that. And all of the potentials that could come from just continuing that process of questioning from staring into the void or the abyss without so much of an opinion and just in a state of closer to a state of curiosity and kind of wonder and awe in it but not thinking anything of it. So it's like, as we exist in the mentality that for the most part, we currently do believing that the perception of division is the truth. Like everything we do is going to be distorted by that. Always. It can't not be. Yeah. Cause it's all one thing. It's all connected. Right. But that's the point is that, you make all the difference. You are the difference. That's what this is about. But not you, the idea of you. You, everything. So don't beat yourself up for not changing the world overnight because you're vast. It takes time. Right? Just like walking downstairs after you wake up in the morning takes time based on the, the distance and your physical capacity Changing the world takes time based on the distance and our physical capacity. Like not only do you have to change in your body and in your awareness, you got to ripple out to the rest of you. That takes time, right? But that's the point is that you can free yourself from yourself and the other people around you in their own cells will eventually start to learn that they can do the same until all of us just walk out of prison together because that's the direction we've been going in this whole time because we put ourselves there to avoid freedom for a bit, because I think maybe we stopped appreciating it. And now we have plenty of reasons to appreciate it again and the path to rediscovering it, which is beautiful. And I'm very glad to be here with everyone. On that note, we have to end this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. We're going to be continuing in pa on Patreon directly after this, patreon.com slash dualisticunity. You can join us, be on the screen, talk to us, share your stories, get deeper into this conversation. We would love to see you. This has been a lot of fun. I've, uh, I'm very excited for this arbitrary year that we are now a part of and uh, to see how all this unwraps.
or unfolds over time unwraps you can tell just christmas just passed yeah for sure excited for the patreon chat this was this is a fun one this second half oh boy um yeah this will be fun to keep it going on patreon in a few minutes here but yeah thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon